To the women amongst us, I hope you have a happy Mother's Day. Hope you get spoiled at one point or other and you get recognised for everything uh, that you uh, uh, do amongst us. And uh, it's, um, there's this great uh, chapter at the end of the book of Proverbs that talks about uh, an exemplary woman. And uh, it's one uh, that she just does all these different things um, and it's a little bit intimidating, to be honest. But there's this beautiful bit at the end of the passage that says uh, uh, mothers should be blessed and recognised and even praised amongst people for they do so much and often it goes unnoticed and is invisible and, it, and it's good to just say thank you and uh, uh, you are really valuable to us. Um, and as I make this journey from... Uh, making it just a normal Sunday to Mothering Sunday to Mother's Day and embracing this almost Americanism, um, I've taken time to enjoy the various women we've looked at. And over the years, we've looked at different women that feature in Scripture. And uh, we find that there is all sorts of outstanding ladies that uh, uh, sort of make up the Old and the New Testament, and they should be an inspiration and a, a, a cause for celebration and, and, and lead us on. It is no secret that church history and church leaders have often struggled with the role of women uh, in God's, in, women's position in God's people. Um, but thankfully, our Heavenly Father has never had that struggle, and he has happily again and again elevated them in his word and, and and we certainly looked through them over the years we've looked at um in the past we've looked at how deborah has led israel esther saved her people it was women that paid for jesus's ministry um and it is women that stayed with jesus at the crucifixion while all the men legged it it was phoebe that delivered paul's letter to the romans and it was priscilla that taught Paulus how to become a Christian. Today, we explore the very first uh, European conversion. I don't know how many of you identify as being European, but it's a strategic moment. It's important because the kingdom of God is expanding and it is going um, outwards and onwards from the Middle East to the ends of the earth and would you believe it it's a mother that is the first convert in Europe so we have this story in Acts 16 we have the Apostle Paul he is adventurous in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and he is crossing modern-day Turkey and he has this passion to share the gospel and automatically he just goes to whatever towns that are around and there is this natural progression um, across the continent that you see alongside him are Silas who's a, a, a fellow sort of pastor and apostle and we find the half Jew half Gentile Timothy which we find the books written to um, later on and we find the record keeper Dr Luke and so we have these four companions traveling along with the gospel but they get to a point in Turkey where they feel the spirits inhibiting them. They can't seem to go to the next place. The spirit seems to stop them and take away opportunity for moving on. And then 
we have this extraordinary um, moment where Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia calling out to him to come along. Paul's in Turkey at this time and suddenly he's being called to Macedonia. And suddenly this party of four brothers uh, have a new direction. No longer are they ambling west, but they are given a God-ordained direction to go northwest from modern-day Turkey up to modern-day Greece. And uh, they have to cross the sea to get there. And so if you've got a bit of script, if you've got a Bible in your hands or on your phone or on your pad or whatever else, it's Acts chapter 16, verse 11. And it's just a, a short reading. It says this. From Troas, verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. So Paul got this call to go to Macedonia and so they head first and foremost to Philippi, which was the dominant city of the area. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Anyone know the name of the Jewish places of prayer and reading the, um, reading the Old Testament um, that were around at the time? So they were called synagogues. They don't appear in the Old Testament, but uh, when they thought uh, God no longer spoke through prophets, they started having these synagogues littered around wherever uh, Jews met. And it seemed that Paul expected to find a synagogue in Philippi because it was a significant urban area. Um, so they go on the outside um, expecting to find it. Um, we sat down and they found no Jewish men. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. And she was named Lydia. And she was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, what did she do? It says she invited us to her home. And then it says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. It has uh, some different words in, in some other texts of how persistent she was and how she drew these uh, four guys uh, to stay with her. So um, these guys, they go west across Turkey and they go to the port of Troas. Um, I think it's uh, uh, no longer operating in the moment. Um, and they cross this uh, Thracian Sea and they stay on an island, and you can go there today, called Samothrace. And it has this big old mountain, 5,000 foot uh, Mount Soas that looms over it. And it's kind of a rugged coastline um, and it's got an industry of fishing, essentially. And so uh, these four guys take a boat and... Uh, they stay at Samothrace. The next day, they continue to feel that call to go to Macedonia. And so they uh, finish the journey across the sea, 
and they go to this port of Neapolis, um, uh, and then having arrived now in Macedonia, where do they go? God called them to Macedonia, but where should they go? And Paul knows that Philippi is the biggest place in Macedonia. It is a place of lots of veteran army soldiers who are given land um, to say thanks for their service to Rome. There's great agriculture, like lots of crops and farms. Um, it's convenient travel. There's a Roman road that goes right through it, so there's lots of trade that passes through. Um, there's significant pagan worship, so there's a lot of worshippers of different gods and goddesses. Um, and it was a Roman colony, which meant it was exempt from a lot of taxes. So it was obviously somewhere that you would want to go, because you could escape the, the heavy um, demands of Rome there. And so Paul, Silas, Timothy and Luke find themselves in Philippi. It is clear that God took these four gentlemen on a journey and it was to grow each of them. Timothy was probably a, a younger lad at the time and he was learning from his spiritual father Paul how to be a leader, how to be a gospel speaker and Luke was busy recording everything down so that we could have it uh, 2,000 years later and Silas was there in a similar role to Paul as a, as a preacher and a wise man of God and we find that they are drawn into new adventures that they are brought along, not to just stay where they are, but to travel and journey and experience the hardship highs and lows, the joys and sadnesses of travelling and extending the gospel. In Philippi, and in the rest of the chapter, we will see exorcism, we will see rioting, we will see imprisonment, we will see an angelic uh, jailbreak, we will see a hardened Roman soldier become a Christian um, and we will find uh, salvation, baptism and church planting. We will find in Philippi uh, extraordinary highs and lows that these four men um, meet face on. And it should be a reminder to us this morning that if our things are uncomfortable right now, if they are hard work, it is not something that we often choose, but it is likely that, like these four gentlemen here, that God is using these situations to grow us and advance his kingdom. He drew these four men across the continent to Philippi where they would experience both joy and hardship. And the same is true in our own lives. We may not be crossing Turkey we may not be travelling across the Thracian Sea, we may not be called to Macedonia, but nevertheless, God would draw us on and not leave us where we are comfortable and safe. He would take us on that uh, uh, with missionary purpose. And hopefully as you read these words, um, you get a sense of destiny for this expedition. This is not sort of Paul randomly going round, knocking on doors, like we saw the Jehovah's Witnesses do in Bubush yesterday, of just sort of randomly doing it. But Paul has a, uh, a, a divine purpose and um, mission to fulfil. 
And so he goes to Philippi, which he feels called to talk to. And Paul has a pattern, and you will find it in the book of Acts, that he goes to a new town. He expects to find Jews there because the diaspora of Jews uh, had spread um, around much of the world. And he expected in these cities to find on the outskirts synagogues, places where Jews would pray, places where Jews would uh, um, observe their faith and that they would have the scriptures read. And Paul is a Jew. Paul is a, uh, a Jew of Jews. You know, he has massive experience um, in being uh, very much like a Pharisee himself. Um, and he knows how to talk and share from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah. There's a very clear um, train of thought that he can bring to Jews that he's seen win Jews again and again. And uh, so this is his pattern, and he repeats it in Philippi. However, and some of the women might roll their eyes at this, to have a Jewish synagogue in an area, you needed ten men. And it was ten men that had to be in that town for them to establish a synagogue. Didn't matter how many women you had, it had to be ten men. And um, it seems that in Philippi, there wasn't that in existence. And so the women uh, had to worship without the leadership of men. They had to figure out their faith without someone uh, 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 directing them. And so there were these women in Philippi who loved Yahweh. They loved the Old Testament. They loved the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And um, you know what? They didn't need the men to show them the way forward. They didn't need the men to establish a synagogue. They didn't need the men to teach them how to do it. They got on and did it on the outskirts of Philippi by this river. And it looks like it was the, uh, the river Gangetes. And they practiced the faith there together. Men or not, they were there faithfully following their God. And so we have Paul, Silas, Timothy and Luke. And it's, they sit down with these godly ladies who feared the Lord, who knew the scriptures. And they shared with these women, these Jewish women who were familiar with everything from Genesis to Malachi. And they shared with them how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises, of all the hope, um, of all the uh, uh, pointing forward and signs that we find in the Old Testament. Jesus was the new Moses that would lead the people into freedom. Jesus was the new Noah who would uh, uh, preserve them out of danger. Jesus uh, uh, was all the Old Testament heroes uh, bundled into one. And so Paul, Silas, Timothy and Luke sat down with them and, and they shared this. And the women that were listening, hopefully, sort of politely and carefully, we are told there is a very specific woman. We find Luke zoom in on this one woman. There was one woman there on business. She was on a business trip. She was involved in the trade of purple dye, which was this uh, um, very exclusive colour, and it was used till, I think, the 19th century. 
Um, up to that point, they used this particular plant root to make a dye. It was very um, expensive and exclusive and in demand, and she was involved in the trade of that. And she was from Thyatira, which is what was, which was the town famous for producing uh, this purple dye. And so she'd come from Thyatira to Philippi to trade um, these purple uh, goods that she had. And we find not only did Lydia listen carefully to the teachings of God, but we find something else. God softens her heart. God intervenes in her life so that not only does she hear preaching, but she believes. She is convinced that what they say is the truth. And we find this very clear idea that salvation is not something that we come up with. It's not something that we can conjure up. It is not something that we try really hard to to achieve and it is not something that we can force on other people salvation and being born again is this beautiful sovereign act of god and people surrender to his uh, uh, persuasive touch and lydia gives in to god's persuasion i wonder if you've noticed that lydia has chosen despite being on a business trip, despite having lots of things to do, despite being away from home, that she has chosen to rest from her trade on the Sabbath. She is deliberate in her faith. When um, she follows and pursues this belief in God, she allows those laws of Moses to penetrate her lives and causes that to be the rise and fall and the, um, the timber and the rhythm of it. And so she goes on the Sabbath to this point of collective worship. And when these men come, she respects these strangers with her time. She's gracious in listening to what these strange uh, uh, guys have to say and their strange new religion that they are proposing. And then suddenly her faith is turned upside down. Suddenly the uh, truth of Jesus transforms everything. And you know what? Nothing is ever the same again. I think um, Lydia sees not only Philippi transformed, but somewhere else too. If you've got a Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 2. In the book of Revelation we have the beginning um, recount um, some letters to seven churches and each one is being given direction and each one is good for us to read but I wonder if you notice this in Revelation chapter 2 verse 18 it says this to the angel of the church in Thyatira the very place that Lydia was from that was her origins that was her hometown. That was where her wider family were. And so we finally find in Revelation that her hometown sees a significant move of God. And it has a fellowship of Christians that gets mentioned in Revelation. This woman was a mover and shaker. And it goes on. These are the words of the Son of God, who eyes are like 
blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And listen to the church that Lydia saw planted in her hometown. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Doesn't that sound like a church that Lydia planted? Someone that was well versed in practicing the faith, in being generous and kind and inhospitable. And we find Lydia's characteristics imprinted on this church in Thyatira and it gets this accolade later on in Revelation chapter 2. We find in Lydia some very clear positive attributes and I think we can find them in godly women today who don't need other people to take the lead, who don't need men to take charge, who do, they, um, who do what needs doing, whether other people are doing it or not. Despite all the pressure of caring, of work, of health, we have ladies in our midst who are like this, who prioritise the same things Lydia did, who prioritised meeting together, who push aside all the other demands so that they can come together and be part of church. We have ladies in our midst who are like Lydia because they come uh, with their affection and their attention. They come here with words and gifts and they're a delight and a blessing and they make something uh, here even richer and more profound um, in its spiritual delights. It is women here that chase me for when the home group is on. It is women here that chase me for uh, the prayer meetings. So many things are pushed forward by uh, women here that it is a, a, a joy to see. And we see them also co uh, have Lydia's attributes in that they attend to what is spoken out loud. They take what is spoken from prophecies and from preaching and from scripture reading and they seek to let God transform the way they work, the way they love, the way they share um, and uh, the way they use their time. And these women should be someone, um, they, these women should be people that we take our cue from. These spiritual mothers in this place that value church, that value prayer, that transform a, uh, just a, a, a meeting into a moment of expressions of affection um, and devotion. That they cherish prayer and fellowship and truth amongst us. And I pray that the rest of us who aren't there yet, that we would copy these women. That we would allow them to set the tone for our lives and allow God to transform not just our lives, but whole towns. Like Lydia seems to have transformed uh, Philippi and Thyatira. So hopefully you're beginning to enjoy this epic encounter with Lydia because she changes so much. And she paves the way for the all of Europe to be reached for Jesus. If you go across 
the UK, you will find church buildings everywhere. If you go around Europe, you'll find church buildings everywhere. And Lydia was the very first convert in Europe. Let me read again that end of Acts chapter 16. That we read earlier. So verse, I think it was verse 15. When Lydia and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, Lydia said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Paul has explained to Lydia that Jesus is the completion of the Old Testament. And he has explained all the implications of Jesus' parables, his miracles, his death and resurrection. Paul is nothing if he's not complete and Lydia would have been given first-class tutelage as to what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And what does Lydia do? She runs with it. She longs to show the world. She is a respected businesswoman uh, in a strange land, but she longs to show that Jesus is her saviour. She longs to show that Jesus paid the price for her sins. She longs to show that she is a new creation. So what does she do immediately after Paul's uh, uh, um, sort of introduction to Christianity? She gets baptised. She goes immediately down into the water, probably into that very river that they were meeting again uh, uh, beside. And she gets immersed into water. And she declares to the world that my faith has moved on. I am now not a Jew. I am a Christian. I am now not someone uh, that only holds to the Old Testament, but I am beginning to see this Jesus is the completion of it all, and he is my hope for the future. What a brave step when these strangers had only, she'd only just come across. And so her body comes out of the river, Ganges, and she comes out probably rejoicing. And what does she then do? She isn't satisfied that she knows Jesus. That isn't enough. She doesn't have this sort of individual idea of salvation. She goes to her whole family. So she probably, she may have brought kids and she probably had sort of slaves and servants in this household. It doesn't mention uh, a husband or partner. Um, and so it looks like she went back and she convinced her family and she convinced um, her slaves and servants of the same belief and not only was her word so persuasive that they believed and trusted in Jesus but they got baptized too and we have this joyful household salvation and it happens again in Philippi later on in the same chapter because Luke wants to know how persuasive uh, the gospel is and God uses Lydia to transform her entire household I get goose pimples just thinking about the implication of Lydia's faith. How she managed to persuade very quickly her entire family that Jesus was Lord. And that suddenly these people uh, went from being unbelievers to being believers and being baptised as well. And there is something potent, there is something strategic and significant when a mother who does so much for the family who provides and cares and guides so many elements of a household, when she becomes a Christian, a 
and suddenly she provides a brand new environment and draws everyone in to the truth of the cross. And Paul intends to move on, you know. He's seen Lydia saved, he'd even seen her household saved and he's pretty chuffed, but he seeks to move on. You know, he's got that sense of calling from a man from Macedonia about Lydia is a tenacious woman and we are starting to learn that. When she gets hold of an idea, she stays with it. She has grasped faith, she has grasped baptism, she has guaranteed the future um, uh, eternal inheritance of her household. But now she wants to honour this man of God, this guy called Paul, this uh, and the company of Luke and Silas and Timothy. And she wants to celebrate and honour him and recognise him for the impact that she, he has had on her lives. And she may be a rich entrepreneur. She may be in her like second home with her, her slaves and her family around her. And Paul may be a penniless, uh, itinerant preacher who has nothing, has no coins to rub together. But she knows that she needs to honour him. And it looks like Paul was hesitant about joining in with Lydia's invitation. But Lydia, and I wonder if this is familiar to you with particular women in your lives, Lydia would not take no for an answer. Paul wanted to move on, but this mother would not accept no. And Paul becomes only one of an infinite number of people that have become a happy victim of uh, aggressive hospitality. He was not looking for it, he was going on, and Lydia just takes him home with her, and he has very little choice in the matter, it seems. And Lydia, at this point, reminds us um, of Romans chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It's a... Uh, so this is the letter to the Romans, um, which Phoebe delivered, another great woman. And it says this in verse 9 of Romans chapter 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And this is something Lydia is very good at. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Yes, prayer is good. Yes, fasting is good. Yes, reading the Bible is good. Yes, all these spiritual disciplines are good. But Paul celebrates these right now. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I wonder how good we are at practicing hospitality. Trying again and again to bless people, to invite them in, to celebrate them, to let them know you think they're important, to listen to their stories and uh, uh, to elevate them in your lives. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony in one another. Do not be proud, but be willing, and this is Lydia, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. There's a great 
passage. This zeal for the full Christian life is obvious in Lydia's life. And it's obvious in disciples and uh, in the services from women uh, who followed Jesus for 2,000 years, practicing hospitality, thinking of others above themselves, preserving and keeping on a zeal for Jesus. And this pattern is replicated amongst us this morning. It is often in this place women who notice the practical needs of those around them. It is them that notice when people are up or down, when they have been missing or um, when they seem to be struggling in one way or another. It is the women often that notice the poor amongst us, the sick and the lonely. And it is them often that seek to intervene with quiet um, and uh, subtle gestures of love and grace and mercy. And possibly more important than anything, they often take, don't take no for an answer. They don't allow other people uh, not to have love and grace and generosity shown them. And so those women amongst us this morning, those adult women who are our spiritual mothers, who care for us in every way from uh, uh, quiet prayers in the seclusion of your home to uh, generous examples of service in this place. We honour you and we thank you. And we recognise that this church would be a much poorer place without you. We recognise all the small gestures of love and um, grace and affection that you give us. And we look to you for inspiration and, and how perhaps we, uh, the rest of us, can serve one another better. And I pray that we copy your attributes and that your spiritual motherhood makes this place a better place. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story of Lydia. God, we find in her someone that made room for you in her life and then saw you transform it with the gospel. Lord God, I thank you for her zeal in getting baptised and seeing her whole household baptised too. And Lord God, I pray that we would learn from her and that we would learn from the women amongst us who uh, replicate those qualities, that we would value coming together, that we would value one another so that, that we ask how each other are doing and look and practice and work on refining our hospitality and our ability of being generous to one another. And Heavenly Father, I pray that um, this congregation would learn these things and that we would be good at demonstrating the love of God to one another. Lord God, I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Amen.